In this conversation, Liz Scully talks through with us how she teaches facilitators of mastermind groups. And these techniques can be used both in a all-out mastermind group of people in like roles, but also can be used within a business. Yeah, today, Liz, the founder of Rethink Central, calls herself the evil coach. And we have to dive in right off the bat, Rich, to find out that that evil coach comes from a little bit of BDSM fetish fun thrown into strategy. And it's not what you might think it is, but it's a lot of fun. It was a bit of a right turn immediately off the bat. And I'm glad you circled around to it towards the end as well, as we understand how some of the creativity in both worlds can play in together and how she uses that to create an environment where people can really learn well and quickly. Here's Liz. Hey entrepreneurs, are you looking to take your business to the next level? I'm sure you are. Listen up. The Entrepreneurs United Empowerment Experience is coming to Austin, Texas on October 2nd to the 4th and you do not want to miss it. At this exclusive event limited to just 50 entrepreneurs, you'll have the opportunity to connect with other like-minded business owners and CEOs learn from industry experts, and enjoy unique experiences that you will not find anywhere else. The Entrepreneurs United experience will leave you feeling inspired, energized, and ready to take on whatever opportunities and challenges come your way. So mark your calendars now for October 2nd and the 4th, and join us at the Omni Barton Creek Resort in Austin, Texas. You will not regret it. Visit entrepreneursunited.us to learn more and secure your spot today. Liz, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Rich and I have a theory, Liz, that people put things in their design, the decor of their office space that means something. And usually we wait further into the podcast conversation to ask the question. But in this case, I think we need to go right there. You have a sign behind you for those that are listening to the podcast that says obey. And then below it says evil coach. And boy, can we not start this conversation without going straight there and asking you, please tell us what this means and significance. John, and there's a skull over her other shoulder. Mm. Yes, it's true. So I have two businesses. I have Rethink Central, which is very sensible, very together. And then I have Evil Coach, which teaches strategy and is completely ridiculous, as you have already spotted. Most strategy is very boringly taught. And you cannot accuse Evil Coach of that by any stretch of the imagination. As, as mentioned, most strategy is very dull. This truly, I apologize to your listeners if this comes as a surprise, because the lens I use to look at strategy is through BDSM kink, because there is a weird set of similarities between the way people arrive in the kink community and the way people view strategy, which obviously sounds ridiculous. Also sounds unlikely, but it's not boring. Not at all. You apply it to BDSM kink. I, I'm, I'm a little concerned on what we'll hear next, but I want to hear more. <laughs> it's nothing salacious. <laughs> you got, you got me on the hook, please. It's, it's an absolutely safe for all listeners. But when people join the kink community, people get a bit overexcited. They want to do all the things they want to get. They want to join everything, become everything. And it's just like when people become online entrepreneurs and they do all of the webinars and all of the things and they I'll start a podcast and I'll do social media and I'll do. So you need a goal. You need to know where you're going and you need to have the people around you very clear on those things. And thus the similarity to strategy, because the things we think strategy is about and the things we think, frankly, kinky sex is about it's not what we think when you strip it right down to the essentials they're weirdly similar mm. i promise that begs a question what is strategy about it's not about adding things to your business it's about simplifying and ideally making each structure each thing you do ever more clearer so if you're, say, I'm speaking to you on a podcast. So being on a podcast helps with visibility, but it also helps create confidence in yourself as you talk about your positioning and your messaging. It also helps, hopefully, we'll become chums. That increases your colleagues and the base around you. So one action can help lots of areas. And you can use it in your social media. You can use it in your emails. You can use it in your newsletters. And that's from doing one hour 
talking to people, it can move six or seven things ahead in your business whilst being fun, not being stressful and moving lots of areas together without feeling that, that horrible feeling of overwhelm. So it's simplicity. It's making each thing work as well as possible. And um, I, I really would like people that are running their business to feel like they have just enough to do, not that feeling of oh, there's just everything and I'll never get it done because that's a horrible feeling. Yeah, makes sense. Can you tell me when people pay you for your consulting services or coaching services, what are you providing them? What is your business? You provide what to who? So there's two parts to the business. I help people with their strategy and growing their business and working less and earning more and less head trash and feeling better and having more fun. And the way I do that is either within strategy provided within a mastermind or I help people run their own masterminds because, frankly, they are, as strategy goes, they fill many boxes, many columns and are super fun to do. Okay, so helping people run their masterminds and you facilitate mastermind sessions. How many people are in those sessions? Um, they're tiny. I particularly specialize in sort of small, intimate online masterminds. I facilitate them, but I also train people how to do them. I think they're the best way to a large degree for people to work together because running a business is just hard. There aren't many places you can hang about and ideate with people whilst being kept accountable. And it's a safe place. When you say small group online, what's the range of the size um, of the group? Between four and six people. People tend to stay with me for about, each mastermind is a year. So they re-up each year and most people stay, oh, I don't know, seven or eight years. And talk to me about why do you have between four and six people in each mastermind? Why is it not three? Why is it not eight? Oh, good question. We do them online. It's slightly different if you meet in person, but online you want that sort of feeling of spaciousness. And if you're the person running the mastermind, you want to make sure that everybody gets a proper hot seat, a moment to showcase their question. And with four people, everybody gets half an hour in that space, slightly under, which means it's enough time for us to <laughs> absorb the question. And then humans, we can be, let's face it, less than smart in our first answer. People have a tendency to blurt a bit, even smart people. So you want a little bit of time so that a proper conversation can break out. If you have six people in the group, then three people do a hot seat in the two hours I spend with people and half the other three, they just do a very quick catch up. If you have more than that, as the host, you're spending a lot of time cutting off genius. That's a great point, but moving straight along and we want people to bring the best out. Yeah, I love that, Liz. So to recap here and make sure I understand this correctly. You help entrepreneurs, and you use the word solopreneurs, solo entrepreneurs, which I believe to be somebody who's just operating by themselves. They don't really have a team or partners or anybody around them. And so being a part of this mastermind really can help them sharpen their saw, have somebody to bounce ideas off of, things like that. So that's your target. And you help them grow past 150,000, which I want to dive into that in just a second. And the second element of this, which I find really intriguing, is how can I, how can John run his own mastermind? I've never really run a mastermind. What's the best format for that? You could coach me on running a mastermind for CEOs and entrepreneurs that I work with and teach me the format tricks and tools to make sure that it's not boring and it's fun and exciting and, and has a bunch of twists and turns in it, I'm sure. Is that correct in terms of the two segments of the business? Yes, absolutely. Okay, perfect. So let's focus on the first one here to start. Rich asked some really good questions about just formatting wise, how that works. I'm really curious how, you know, what are some of the, 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 I guess maybe I'm diving into how to run a good mastermind. If I'm a solo entrepreneur, what does growing past 150K mean? Why, what is that? Why do you have that as part of the tagline for why well, somebody would want to join this group? It turns out that most of my clients believe that there is something magical about moving past. We, a lot of people have that. I'm going to get to a hundred K. But getting past that, they kind of believe that there's a secret, there's a special something that they need, a new system or a new modality or a new something. And frankly, they don't. But that head trash of I'm going to have to do something different 
really helps to clarify that come to me and I can help you with that. Because obviously there are inflection points in a business. When we get to 300,000, when we get to half a million, when we get to seven figures, when we get to multiple seven figures, there are points where you do need different stuff. But 150 seems to be this kind of vaguely magical number that quite a lot of my clients have feeling it's all got to be different. And it's just head trash. You can get past that. It's a feeling of a bunch of limiting beliefs. Okay. So just to be clear, are we talking about $150,000 of revenue? Are we talking about $150,000 of net income where they're making $100,000 of, of income for themselves? What does one hundred fifty represent? I'm glad you asked. And strangely, if you were female, you wouldn't have asked me that. It would be turnover. And this is fascinating okay. because I run... I train people in how to run masterminds. There are other sorts of masterminds, the sort of in-person masterminds where you meet a couple of times a year, where you could have a lot more people, slightly different structure. I also help people with that. It's a less part of my, smaller part of my business. But mostly people who come to me for that are mostly gents, and they are people who have been in very large corporate positions. They've been the top of a vertical for a long time. They've earned a lot of money for many years. And for those people, they come to me and say, I don't want a big job. I don't want a big career. This is my legacy. I just want to make a, a nice little 300,000, Liz. Nothing big. And those people, unfortunately, I hate to be sexist about it, they're all men. Whereas mm-hmm. the women who are saying, oh, if only I could get to 150, they are sadly talking about gross turnover, which really okay. isn't much money. Exactly. So which one do you mean when you say growing past 150? And you're, if you were to bring this to me and you say, John, I'm going to help you get past 150, I'd say, Liz, are you talking about turnover or are you talking about net income? What would your response be? By asking that question, I would know that I would want it to be income because, because I'm the one asking. Yeah, you have enough, you have enough <laughs> systems awareness to realize there's a difference. And also, many of my clients are copywriters, designers, coaches. Their overheads are pretty small, actually. It's a, they don't okay. have bricks and mortar, mortar massive expenses. Okay. Awesome. So uh, I I hate to self-promote here, but I'm in the process of writing a book. And one of the things that is the concept of the book is how entrepreneurs can move from having a lifestyle business where they're earning good income, then they're happy and trying to jump to growing to a high performance business. It seems like yours is in that same vein, which is you've built this nice little business for yourself and maybe you're earning six figures of turnover or income. doesn't make a difference. But you have you need to be wired a little bit differently across that chasm from uncomfortable to no, I'm going to really change my paradigm and come up here. Is that really the, the premise of, of what it is? It is. And also sometimes it's just how to stay, how to scale a small yeah. business and still stay small. How can you be a coach that can earn mm. close to seven figures or over seven figures without having a massive team? I come from yeah. a film background where to grow, you need hundreds of extra people. That's not true if you're a smaller business and you come from, say, a coaching that you can get away with having two or three people working with you, max. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people come to you and say, well, I don't want a team. That's why I'm staying small because uh, exactly. they, they, they tie the two together. And by the way, I'm sure this is coming up in your conversations, but I was listening to uh, a podcast yesterday, Impact Theory, with, with a couple of gentlemen talking about AI and how it's changing the world. They're talking about the next Google is going to be formed with three people because they don't need anybody else. They can program it all with the AI and get all the marketing done with AI and all the content done. And they can really scale a business now with all these super productive tools that are coming out, which basically make you superhuman. I'm sure that's actually part of the content you're talking about today. Um, absolutely. And any way that you can automate, mm-hmm. speed up, That's great, because what we really need for most of us is thinking time. So that's Mm -hmm. what's going to really help you focus on the bits that are important. And that's where a good strategy will help, because you'll know how to fit different things into that clarity of where you're going Mm -hmm. and how it fits together. Definitely. Yeah, and that kind of plays to, are you working on your business or in your business? And a lot of people are working so hard in their business, they have no time for thinking, no time to be part of a mastermind group. I don't have time, Liz. I'm busy working in my business. They can come up for air and work on their business as part of a mastermind group. That would work really well for them. Liz, I really want to dive into the second category of this. But before I do, I need to yeah, stay in the solo entrepreneur and growth phase and ask if Rich wants to dive a little bit deeper here because I don't want to just change subjects and go to, okay, now teach me how to run this mastermind because I really want to know. Rich, where else would you, if you're a solo entrepreneur listening to Liz, you would want to know a little bit more about what she does. 
My questions are more around how she teaches facilitators to run a mastermind, because I think there's an opportunity in an awful lot of businesses where the owner could run a mini mastermind with the people in their business. And then I'm, I think what you're doing, Liz, is you're having people in like positions as owners working together and giving each other advice on what they have as business problems. And I imagine the facilitation being very similar. So my questions around facilitation aren't simply, how do you facilitate a mastermind of people in like positions? But I imagine they also transfer over to just facilitating any peer-to-peer group. So uh, a question I have is, as you train facilitators, what portion of the role do you see as them instructing and them being the source of knowledge? And there's probably some percentage of that, I imagine. It's not zero and 100. But then the other side of it is, how much of what they do are you recommending be facilitation, which is the person running the group doesn't need to have any of the answers. Their job is to raise the collective intelligence of the group. So what's your template on how you teach people? What percentage is instruction and what percentage is facilitation? What does excellence look like with those? Well, actually, let's start with if you're teaching in a mastermind, I think that's not ideal because within the hours you spend actually masterminding, there is a very different brain process. When we are listening to someone and taking notes, when we're absorbing that information, it's a different process from the mastermind process where we lean in together and we share an idea and we push thoughts around. So I would suggest if you're teaching and you're masterminding that you keep them on separate days or separate halves of the day because teaching is the what and the how of something and masterminding is the emotional heart who am i to do this am i good enough how's that going to work how do i actually restructure that the how do i take the the nerve to do that so that emotional heart everybody is equal but as you say the facilitator is moving that so that everybody gets to showcase what they are. I believe anyone who is used to helping their clients make decisions can do the coaching and facilitating part of it. If you've run a meeting that didn't go completely awry, you have all of the facilitation chops you need to be able to run a masterminding itself. Who you put in the room, I think is even more important than the curation above the facilitation. And when we facilitate, obviously, you want to make sure that everyone's moving along and that you're keeping to the structure. I think the key is that you simply you have to keep people on time. And that is going to involve the the uncomfortable thing that I found with many people is that you're going to have to interrupt people in the nicest possible way. You are going to have to move people along, stop them, occasionally stop them from crying, moving straight along now because you want everybody to have that fair space and that can be tricky we've all been trying to let each person speak but you are going to have to get used to the and now the next person yes that's the tricky bit so i would say it's important but not as important as curating excellent what are the principles around curating who is in a mastermind group that should be followed how do you vet the people who are interested it's you can do it you can do it several ways so you can once you begin to decide what the theme of your mastermind is whatever that is so if it's in-house or if it's people who are business owners in my case are you choosing people that are all the same or are you choosing people that are slightly different and bring different things and i would say your mastermind is going to be much stronger the wider the choice of people you have so you could have all dentists or all sme owners But you want to make sure that you have a mix of people. So you want a mix of introverts and extroverts. You want a mix of the shy types and the people who are going to think very deeply. And that element, your nice mix, is your starting point. Because you also want a mix of experience. But the big thing that is not mixed is the speed to goal. If you have a bunch of people who want to hit seven figures, say, And one of them is just below seven figures and one is at 
we've made a hundred bucks this month, that's it. They are moving at very different speeds to that goal. So you want to make sure at least that speed, that enthusiasm is very similar. That's your first bet. Then you begin to think about a mix of personalities. Now, ideally, you also want that everybody in the group can provide three or four things to the group, the specific questions that group needs, uh, which might be, say, hiring staff or contracts or proposals. They have a lot of deep knowledge about that. But it can be as simple as there's somebody else there who's moving to a town that this person has lived in. So they give three, th three or four things and they get three or four things. And obviously, the more people in the group, if you can manage that everybody, say six people, can give three things and get three things, that is a really tightly knitted group before you start. So the key is that curation. That's why people in my group stay for a long time. And that's also if you've been in a mastermind and thought, eh, that wasn't great. It was pro probably the curation that let it down. That's excellent. I'd validate what I just heard. So the things that should be the same when you're curating are speed to the goal and roles in the business. You wouldn't want someone who is a CEO in the same group as someone who is putting widgets together on a factory line, right? So somewhere similar in same role, it doesn't need to be exact same role, but they gotta be similar within a degree of separation or so. Some things that need to be different that you would look for would be their experience, uh, how they approach people, so introvert, extrovert, just how they think in general. And then you had said, I'm going to validate my own words and my understanding, so feel free to correct me. But you had said, be able to provide three or three, uh, three or four things that you're a subject matter expert at as it relates to your business or business in general. So you have one person who's maybe excellent in finances and another person's excellent in sales and another person's excellent in marketing. So you're blending their subject matter expertise with their needs. And in that curation, you've already pre-built with the people who are showing up that they could serve each other. How does that land on you? I know I validated with a lot of my own words, but that's what I'm understanding. Feel free to correct it. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be that they are complete experts have some knowledge of or some experience of. But absolutely, the wider and more of those points of similarity and where they can help. And of course, you also need humans that are going to like helping each other. That's I should have started with that. If you don't like other humans, masterminding is not really for you. But yes, as long as you have that and you have someone with experience who's willing to share it, they are in the right space. Okay, so liking helping others, some they have to be have a bent for that because that's part of what the group does that would be another thing they should all have in common as you see it what's the difference between a mastermind group and a group of people who are getting together to discuss issues and help each other problem solve what makes it in the category of a mastermind so i think it's three things so first of all there's the fact that you are going to meet repeatedly and that longevity is important. Even if it's just a weekend once a year, knowing that you'll be back there again makes a difference. If you're meeting weekly or every other week, there is that feeling of accountability because the other big thing that makes a mastermind is that you commit to some goals that you'll achieve by the next time you meet. And frankly, nobody wants to be that person who said, all that stuff I said I'd do last time. Yeah, I haven't done it. So that keeps you accountable, keeps you honest. And accountability, longevity, and the fact that it is a curated space, that for whatever reason, you are there to do the specific thing. Because just having a lovely group of people that you can ask questions to, that's lovely. But that could just as easily be like a regular dinner you go to. It's that feeling of this is a special space. Yeah, I think it's those three things. So I heard you bulleted accountability, longevity. What was the third one there? Accountability. Accountability. Yeah, committing to setting goals and achieving them between meetings. And you had said same people, they're meeting on a regular basis and there's some longevity in that. Did I miss anything there or is that? No, nope, uh, that's it. Okay. They, they are in essence super simple, I have to say. But then so is coaching so you just talk to people and it helps them it, it's in essence very simple 
What has surprised you about getting involved in a mastermind business? Two things. So first of all, I see in my clients really regularly that they will be giving a beautiful piece of modulated advice to someone else because often we can see much more clearly someone else's business. Dating, you can see how two people should not be together, but you can't see yourself if you're in that position. It's the same with someone else's marketing. So I've seen again and again, clients give this beautiful piece of advice and then stop halfway through and say, "Ah, maybe I should do that in my business. Yes, yes, you should. So it's that I've seen so often. And the other thing is what it's done to my own business. Because of course, I spend my days hearing super smart people talk about the things they should do to grow their business. That is very useful for your own business, I have to say. So hearing people give advice, they actually are teaching themselves. And I know as a coach, I've done that sometimes where it's clear to give somebody advice on something. I go, gosh, that was great advice. Maybe I should probably (laughs) do that. And that's been a bit of a surprise to you. And then the number of your takeaways, it sounds like you love about it. We have, we don't call them masterminds. In our business, we have peer-to-peer groups of like roles who get together on a regular basis. There's some degree of accountability. I think it probably could be tightened down a bit. But one of the things that we are up against is these groups continue to get together with the same people year over year, and they start to be able to predict what other group members are going to give in the way of advice because they know each other. They start to be able to give each other an out because they really know each other's story, and they develop relationships and some compassion. So holding really hard edge accountability sometimes can be difficult. Uh, Sometimes it gets to be, for lack of better terms, maybe a little bit boring the value they get out of it tends to start to go down after somewhere between somewhere around the three-year mark. For some people, it's two. For some, it's four. But somewhere around the three-year mark, the value of meeting with the same group tends to go down. I want to share that with you to see if you see the same things with your mastermind groups. And if not, I'd love to learn what are you doing so that doesn't happen. And if you are seeing the same thing, what do you do to keep things fresh? So in my groups, people tend to move around a little bit. They move from day to day. They, so they're solidly in one mastermind for a couple of years, but then life changes things. So they can't make a Tuesday anymore. So they might move into a Wednesday group and that helps keep it fresh. I have seen with the sort of company that has hundreds of masterminds all together, the same problem that you talk about. And for them, they do the same thing. Either they have tiers, so you've been in a group long enough that you now graduate up to the next level. So normally they're always the diamond and the platinum level, gold, silver, and it's always the same same setup. So you get into smaller, more powerful groups. Um, There's certainly, I've seen people getting softer on goals. Oh, but you've had such a hard time. That, if they're facilitated masterminds, that's what that coach is there for. That's what that person is there to do, to to toughen things up. Because I've definitely seen the kindness of people letting people off their goals is only a short-term kindness. You're there to get things done. So one of the things I do at the start of every mastermind series, we set a goal for the year. This is what you're going to achieve. And when they re-up and join again, we set new stretchy goals for that. But I also explain to them that my job is to help them reach those goals. So there will be times when I am going to be, <laughs> I suppose these days I can say evil, Liz. I can be less pleasant because my job is to push them. If they could do it themselves, they would have been doing it. And part of what they're there for is to be pushed into a place where they are stretched. And that is not going to feel very comfortable sometimes. With peer groups, people are often a bit too nice to do that. I think having someone else there, whether it's all the time or whether it's intermittently, that just resets the group and pushes people a bit is definitely helpful. I like this idea of graduate to the next level. You said smaller, more powerful. Can you give me an example of some criteria that you've seen used to say, hey, if you do this or you achieve this or you become this or you represent this, 
you're now worthy of graduation. And until you do that, you're not. What are some of those criteria that you've seen work? So I've seen it happen through um, obviously revenue goals. When you personally hit a particular revenue goal, now you're a seven-figure coach. Now you're a multiple seven-figure coach. Now you are 10 and up then you can do it that way. But that can be a little crude because people can be very far ahead in their learning and implementing stuff before they hit those goals and deserving to move up. So you can do it that way. You can do it on length of service. I've certainly seen, there are some mastermind groups where say there's a hundred people overall in the group and you're split into smaller groups within that, the four or the six that I was talking about. And for those those sessions, you have a concentration. So it might be that you're in the marketing group for now, or you're moving into the leadership role. And after a time, when you feel that maybe you do six months and then maybe you do a year in there, okay, now you move into a different section. And that can be self-selected or insisted upon by the leader. And I think that can help because you're right. And I've noticed it is about that three-year period. People get, I think humans are just too nice. After three years of being together, yeah, they're getting a bit soft on each other. So, Liz, I want to bring a couple of components into this. <clears throat> you, you, I think you've explained to me the evil coach side of things a little bit, which is, yeah, you got to be strict and you got to move them along. That's what I'm paying you for to be part of this group is help us make sure that this is productive, right? And that's got to be uh, very regimented. I haven't quite yet got the kink side of this fun, especially having people that are online Tying a little bit to how do you make sure it isn't stale, we started off this whole conversation with how do you combine BDSM with strategy and make it fun and exciting? How do you do that in these masterminds? What's the trick of that? Well, to be clear, no, no BDSM is done in these masterminds. It is in no way, it's no way rude. It is, however, smutty and fun and kink related in foolishness. That is the only thing. So part of what I've noticed, and I'm sure you have, is that when people are stressed or bored, they just don't learn. But once we are giggling, it is very easy to learn strategy. So this isn't particularly in the mastermind, but this is how I teach strategy. So one of the things I've noticed is that my clients have no trouble building strategy for completely ludicrous things, like totally silly stuff. How would you go to the moon with a giraffe? How would you pay tiddlywinks with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I set that as a task and everybody opens up and people have had genius ideas for that. And they're very keen to come up with a silly goal. One of my clients wanted to, her ridiculous goal was to be a, an Olympic runner. Excellent. Do you run? No. How are you going to do that then? Step one, move to Vanuatu. Okay. It turns out Vanuatu does not have a running team. So she moves there. She becomes the only runner in Vanuatu. Very easy to set up to become an Olympic team. Very simple but sensible strategy. Ridiculous, obviously, in many ways. With that, it's very easy to then build on it and build other strategy. And that's because it's unhooked from that stress about how things work. So the BDSM world is filled full of creativity and oddness and ridiculousness and giggling. And all of that side of that is what I use to teach strategy. And once people are loosened up, <laughs> I apologize for the yeah, apologize for that. <laughs> once people are warmed up, they are, it's very easy for them to think about strategy. It's also, once they have been through that process together, it's very easy for them to suggest very sensible, pleasant things. So it's about not being so rigid in yourself. Mm. And also, frankly, it's just an excuse for smut and for ridiculous innuendo. It's lovely. Yeah. I love I love the uh, just the aspect of team building from that uh, you know create a business plan that's so ridiculous <laughs> and the strategy to to apply to it I see that as being a really good icebreaker to your point you're bringing four to six people together they don't know each other they're looking at each other on a camera or in a room together everybody's uncomfortable and you bring this air of ridiculousness that everybody's giggling and laughing and then as you progress through the mastermind you start talking about real business issues that are stressful people can take that air out of the room a little bit and just release and have a good time and, and relax. So I really love uh, that as a team building activity. I think that's, uh, that's phenomenal. So when you're part of a mastermind group, I understand the, how that would work. You have an evil coach, 
you get together with four peers, you talk through things and you help each other, you giggle, you laugh, and you grow beyond your current position. If you want to be a mastermind coach, I don't currently run a mastermind. And you've given us a lot of great tips where I'm sitting here going, hmm, maybe I should be running masterminds here. What would that process look like? So if an entrepreneur is listening to this or a business coach is listening to this and they're like, you know what? I want Liz to help me build my masterminds. What does that look like? Is that a one-on-one coaching or do you do a mastermind of masterminds and bring people together to teach them how to do masterminds together? I have done both of those things, but I have a course. And normally what happens is people do the course and then often they do a mastermind because after you've learned the basics, it's nice to see it played out. And also many of the people that in my mastermind, the reason I have a course is that they asked me how I was doing it. And for them, poor fools, while they were doing the course, they were like, oh, I've seen you do that. I had no idea that was a specific sneaky thing you were doing. So there's a course, but also I think genuinely, whether or not people want me and my weird evil coach to help, I think everyone can benefit from masterminding. It is such a fun thing to do and so helpful for being in them and for running them. It's quick and gives you such a nice place for really thinking about your business and can totally change the atmosphere if you're having a bad day. It makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. It makes an impact. Like I know one of the things we try and do with this podcast, is we want to make an impact. We want to help entrepreneurs learn, grow. Selfishly, we want to learn and grow. But the ability to run a mastermind with others seems to be very enriching from the perspective of making an impact on others and sharpening your own saw and learning along the way. So I think it's fantastic. If our audience wants to learn more, Liz, where do they go? What do they do next? So I've made your people a secret page on my website, rethinkcentral.com. If they go to rethinkcentral.com slash EU podcast, they will get some free resources. There's no opt-in. They can just download some stuff, watch some videos and learn more about the delight that is masterminding. And no kink is involved in that in any way. Totally safe. (laughs) Great, Liz. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you. John, I'm going to ask a couple more questions and maybe we could flip and delve in. I had a couple follow-up questions here. Yep. Liz, you had said you have a course on how to mastermind. Is that course available asynchronously for purchase or does someone need to show up for an in-person course? Uh, No, it's asynchronously. You can do whatever you like, basically. And I can unlock it. So often people uh, will do the whole thing. They'll binge on it and do the whole thing in a weekend. And what's the website that somebody could go to if they wanted to take your course on how to, and it's a course on how to facilitate masterminds? It is. And how to sell them and fill them and do all of that exciting stuff. The course is called Mastering Mastermind, obviously, because frankly, what else would it be called? And it is on rethinkcentral.com slash mastering. Okay, great. And then when you do the kind of silly strategy development and the examples you gave where you go to a moon on a giraffe or play tiddlywinks with Arnold Schwarzenegger. What are some of the tried and true strategy development principles that as a facilitator, you're watching them do this and you're like, oh, you're doing the such and such. And that's a principle you can apply now when it's a serious strategy. You're also doing the What are those? What are some of the principles that show up at play that you then transfer from? You're doing that in a silly way. Actually do that same thing now with your business. Hmm. (laughs) You're expecting me to have a much clearer answer than I do. That's okay. Talk it out. But almost all strategy, the basics are discover what you want to do. Simplify it down to its absolute essence and then work backwards from there. And it sounds so simple, but I have had so many people say, so I want to earn an extra 100K in two years. That means I need to be earning an extra 50K within a year, which means within six months, I need to have made 25K extra. How does it fit together? This is how that works. So it's really breaking it down. I can't tell you how many people just sort of, oh, it's that simple. Strategy really isn't that hard. And then once you've got that spine, I think you need to know yourself. If you're dyslexic, so if I do blogs, 
pointless. It spends me, it takes me so much time to write a good blog. Whereas speaking, I was in film, doing video, that's super quick. So it's knowing yourself what is going to work effectively for you, simplifying it, and then just strip it stripped back as it is. It's making sure you hit those milestones. It really isn't that difficult. I shouldn't tell people that. It's not that hard. There are lots of places that will make it more complicated than that, but that's really all it is. Thank you for that, and thanks for being on today. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. Rich, one of the premises I feel is very powerful in a mastermind group, we touched on a little bit. You cannot edit your own homework and see the mistakes that you made. It's very hard to look at your business and see what's going on. But the definition of an expert is some person from out of town who just walks in and goes, oh, look at this and this. And it's so easy for us to walk into someone else's life, as she mentioned, or someone else's business and see all the different warts and holes in the ground that need to be fixed. It's so easy to do. But it's so hard to look at your own stuff introspectively, partly because you don't have time because you're working so hard on everything. Partly you have so much pride. You're blinded to some of those things. To surround yourself with peers that match the qualifications she talked about, mixed skill sets, all striving for the same goal, and have that group that can really be a friend, be a consultant, be an expert to have you see all these spots is so powerful, yet not enough entrepreneurs do it. I'll tell you, I loved her take on curation in facilitation and she didn't say this i didn't say this while we were on but i'll tell you based on my experience with the groups that we facilitated sort of pro if the curation is done really well the facilitation gets really easy if you have the right people in the mastermind group who i love many of the things that she had said they want to help others they have some subject matter expertise or at least experience in something. So they have something to offer others. They have a similar speed to a goal. They're not totally different timelines. So they're working towards something similar and they're in similar roles in terms of influence and control within the business. So they can advise each other on decision-making. I have found those are some of the exact criteria that work in our business. One of the things I've looked at is Does somebody have the ability to take feedback and go implement it? That's actually an ability that not everybody has. A lot of people think they can take feedback and go implement it. Not everybody can. So do they have the ability to take feedback and implement it? And do they have the ability to give really good feedback? I have Mm -hmm. found those two things are not a given And those are two ways that we have curated how we put together really high-functioning groups. Yeah, I love that. Certainly, if you're committing to the cost and the time to be part of the group, you should be willing to implement the feedback you have and contribute. But to your point, it's not a given. And some people may need to to learn and develop those skills, which is what I love about what Liz does as well. She breaks down those barriers right off the bat where you can get to know the people in a ridiculous manner, in a fun manner. That levels levels the trust line up, right? So you have more trust for the people you're working with and having conversations with. And a lot of this is done virtually too, by the way, which is a whole new world we're living in. You would have never thought that masterminds would be done virtually, but they can be, which expands the horizon of people across the globe that you could be working with and just learning from and developing these incredible relationships with. So, you know, it's a lot easier, Rich, I think for you, uh, not for you specifically, but for people that are part of a system, for example, with CertiPro and the franchise system, you have a ton of peers that are kind of going on the same path, right? Yeah. It's a lot harder when you're a solo entrepreneur, Liz Targets, which is you have your own little e-commerce business or your own little small business, and maybe you don't want to build a big team. And every day you're sitting in the room by yourself wondering, this is kind of boring. It's slow. It's, I have no one to talk to. This really opens up a whole world to them. But I must say, a lot of CEOs and entrepreneurs that have hundreds of people on their teams are just as lonely. And sometimes they go get a coach. We've talked to a tremendous amount of coaches, phenomenal coaches on this podcast over the past four seasons that they can work with. But it's one thing to work with a coach And it's another thing to work with peers that are in the exact same position you are in. It's a totally different offering. You might need both, quite honestly. But but I love the way that is so necessary. The one thing I was thinking about through this podcast, Rich, is this podcast specifically is a mastermind. It's a mastermind of two. Think about the times we've held each other accountable. Yeah. 
Think about the goals we set this year that we held accountable to each other. We meet every week. We've been doing it for a long period of time. We add a little bit of kink and fun and BDSM into it. <laughs> but the reality is we curated the space and we invite a guest into it every week so that we can sharpen our own saw yeah. and make an impact to ourselves and potentially to others. But this is a mastermind. Uh, and I love it. It's been so powerful and impactful to me. It just kind of dawned on me as we're having this conversation. This is one. Yeah. What an interesting take. You were talking about the solo entrepreneurs and I can imagine a solo entrepreneur, you said feeling alone, but I can imagine them feeling alone in part because they believe their challenges are unique. Nobody knows their business like them. Therefore, to get advice from somebody who really doesn't know the nuts and bolts of the business, it may not be relevant. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to contact. Who can I trust that's actually going to have my best interest in mind? You just got me thinking about all these things that would be challenges for a solo entrepreneur to get involved mm -hmm. in mastermind. And I know you and I are aligned in this and could not recommend more strongly to get involved in a mastermind, to get that peer-to-peer -peer feedback. Whatever the challenges are that you're running up against in your business, other people are having the same challenges. They have a different service. They have a different product. Yes, they have a different landscape. They may have a different cash flow. Yes, lots of things are different. But the principles of running a successful business are the same regardless of the business. So to hear from a peer how they're applying principles of business leadership and management and how then you get to pick what you then get to implement. I want to come back and just double down on the ability to receive feedback and implement it. As you mentioned it, when I stopped talking a moment ago, I kept thinking about it and thought it really is important. And I'll tell you why it's important is to come in and say, I have a problem with my gross margin on my profit and loss statement. And we have a small group of entrepreneurs and there's advice from lower your cost of goods sold to you need to get a different accountant. And let's just leave it at those two things. And I go, okay, great. I got the advice. Now it's my opportunity to select what I'm going to do, what I'm going to implement. And I don't implement anything differently, let's say from one meeting to the next. We come into the next meeting and what is it that I'm talking about? Hey, my margin. gross margin is busted. And people are going, okay, what'd you do about it? I didn't have time to, this happened, this blew up. I had this turnover. We had to launch this new product and, and gross margin is still a problem. There's not new advice out there. It's the same group of people who have the same experience who are gonna tell you, go get a new financial expert and lower your cost of goods. And it becomes Groundhog Day. One of the things that I heard from one of the owners in one of our peer groups, John, it, I thought it was simple yet profound, is there was someone who kept coming back in that particular group, and I was facilitating it, and the same issue kept showing up. And it was over the course of four or five meetings. And one of the participants said, you don't have a responsibility to have them implement anything we said, but you do have a responsibility to solve the problem. Don't come back in here with the same problem. You don't want to do what we're suggesting. Fine, but fix the problem. And I thought, oh, wow, that is good. Yeah, you really don't in a peer group. You don't have to implement what they're saying. Yeah, but don't come back with the same issue. Be coachable and accountable and go implement something different. So that message I recount to you just because it, it's an important learning lesson for any of our listeners who do happen to be in a peer group now. Don't be one of those people. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's great feedback. And certainly you also can see these masterminds, I think, over time. And that's why I like some of the levels she also talked about where you graduate up to different levels if you've outgrown a group. Or like you fell off a group, right? Like yeah. people are like, hey, this person's not listening to anything we're saying. They're not contributing anything we're going through. We got, I'm sorry. This is important that we get the right culture, the right group involved here. And I'll bring up one last thing on my side, Rich. Um, this last piece, the question you had asked her about, tell me more about strategy and how do you break it down? 
And the simplicity and ridiculousness of, I'm going to bring a giraffe to the moon, or I'm going to be a runner in the Olympics examples. It dawned on me, it may be second nature for you with your business, but in most businesses, most entrepreneurs don't understand the simplicity of, I want to do a million dollars in revenue. Okay. What do you think needs to happen in the simplest form for you to do a million dollars in revenue? I need leads. How many leads do you need? I need a thousand leads. Okay. If you have a thousand leads and you do 900 estimates and you book 400 jobs and an average job size, if this is how much revenue you're going to make, that's not enough. You need 1300 leads or whatever it may be. The simplicity of where we started with College Pro in terms of breaking down, where do you want to be? Oh, Break yes. it down to the simplest form and work it all the way back down with milestones and measurements of what you need to do to get there. The amount of times I've brought that simplest philosophy that Liz talked about to an entrepreneur and they're like, wow, I didn't realize I needed 1,500 leads, not 1,000 leads to get to a million dollars. That changes everything. This is what I need to do. It's so simple, but it is all about getting it down to that simplest level of measurement of what you need to do to achieve your goal. Once you track those KPIs on leads, number of leads that saw the product or service, number of people who actually bought once they saw the product or service, and then what's the average dollar amount that you're landing when people buy. Those are the four simple KPIs. Once you have a history of tracking those, when you start to do business planning, it starts to get very easy because the levers that need to be pulled into business, the business planning to increase revenue, are just those four. It's just that simple in almost any business. And you've got to answer the question, if you're going to go from a $2 million business to a $2.5 million business, which of those levers are moving? And what are you doing actively, consciously to move them? You can't just sit back and say, oh, I'm going to go from 1,000 leads to 1,300. Why? Because we've been in business another year? That's not good enough. So I agree with you. In the strategy development, it comes straight away over into business planning and making decisions and knowing what levers can be pulled in the strategy and what you're doing to pull them so then that can be evaluated on did it work or did it not work? Do we pour that on next year even more? Or do we need to scale that back and try something else? I couldn't agree with you more.